check in now with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. And Vaughn, I have to say the theme this morning seems to be really crazy stories. Like you just wonder what the heck is going on. And I have to say this one about Mary Ellen Terpel Lafon, I actually put that in this category. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say sad. Um, oh, because, definitely sad. You know, this is someone who's got a mixed legacy in BC and and who's leaving UBC amid controversy and and no one's much talking about it but we know the con- the context and the context is a CBC investigation that raised questions about Turpalafon's claims of indigenous ancestry and about other issues in her resume and she's now left UBC she says uh, she just retired. UBC is saying they're not going to comment, and at least that just leaves a frustrating taste too. And I and I see a indigenous woman leader at uh, University of Alberta saying, you know, that doesn't look good. This this thing needs to be aired publicly. What happened here because of the running controversy in Canada over what is indigenous ancestry and who has it and who doesn't. So. I, I, you know, yes, I agree with you. It was totally unexpected yeah. that this would come up, and it's been playing out now for several months. I guess it's not over in the sense that there really isn't any resolution here. But as I say, Sam, it's a sad story because I think you also have to acknowledge uh, Mary Ellen Turpelafon's contribution to British Columbia. That is, I think, what makes it so sad. Right? Is it was was were the stories necessary? And that's what I wonder. But you brought up something interesting about I think Indigenous women have played a huge role yeah. in this because what we first saw when this story broke, when the CBC broke it, is people coming to her defense, people like the um, like Stuart Phillip, right? Indigenous leader yeah. Stuart Phillip, uh, but a lot of men coming yeah. to her defense. Yeah. And it was Indigenous women who came out and said, wait yeah. a minute. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. You know, he had uh, used, uh, appointed uh, Turple LaFond to oversee problem of racism. Uh, against Indigenous people in the healthcare system. He said he had confidence in her and her work. Uh, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, yes, uh, uh, supported her in the face of the CBC stories. And UBC initially stood behind her. Um, the CBC, to its credit, and I have to give them credit, see, because these stories are very difficult to do. They require enormous oh, yeah, they do. work and hay. A lot of legal attention too, and the CBC stood by its stories, and they brought out more stories, and support for Turple the Fond began to fray. And you're right, Indigenous women came forward and started asking questions. I think you had what at least one woman who, Indigenous woman who had herself gotten an honorary degree, said she was going to return hers yeah. to the UB to the BC University if that university didn't disavow Turple the Fond. Those. Those questions are still out there, but on the legacy question, and the reason I find this a sad story is you go back to the time the liberals were in office and they deeply cut funding for support for children and families, created a crisis, brought in an independent commissioner, Ted Hughes. Hughes reviewed it, said the government had gone too far, recommended setting up an independent officer of the legislature to uh, provide independent vetting of how children and family issues were being handled by the government. That office was created. It was filled by Mary Ellen Turple-Lafon. She was a judge from Saskatchewan. 
Uh, everyone accepted her indigenous ancestry, and she, it was considered a real prize to get her here in BC. And she did such a good job in her first term, Simi, uh, a very controversial job, but she did such a good job in her first term that she was appointed to a second term by unanimous recommendation of the then Liberal government and the then NDP opposition. So, you know, there's some grumbling uh, toward the end of that second term that she was going too far, that she thought the government could do no right. But still, that's an important legacy. That office continues to serve the public well, and its reputation and uh, functioning was to a large degree created by Mary Ellen Turple Defon's ability and determination. Right, but then she did have that second term, as you pointed out, that was a little rougher. Yeah, it was. You know, Hughes himself, uh, toward the end of that term, uh, expressed some exasperation with her. Um, you know, a third term wasn't in the cards and she didn't seek it, and she moved on to uh, the UBC appointments. Uh, but Adrian Dix called on her. Uh, when there were allegations of uh, racist treatment of indigenous people in the healthcare system, particularly in hospital emergency wards. You may remember there was an allegation that people in an emergency ward in the province were pay- playing a game, a right. drinking game. That, there was no evidence of that. Turbulafon came out and said she found no evidence of that, but she said she did find evidence that... Um, the system needed to respond more reassuringly, more thoroughly in dealing with Indigenous people so that Indigenous people wouldn't be afraid to go to the healthcare system when they needed healthcare. So that report, the recommendations were accepted by the government. And as I say, when this story surfaced last fall, uh, Adrian Dix said no, he still had confidence in Mary Ellen Turple Fond and her work. He hasn't said anything since, to my awareness. I, he may get asked about it, but I think the thing you have to say is the allegations against her in the CBC story were not connected to her performance, either as a child and youth com- uh, representative here in BC or uh, her work on the racism study uh, for the BC Liberal, uh, NDP government. Exactly. All right. So I know there'll be still more discussion about that to come, but we were also going to talk about this whole SRO situation with fire alarms. Like we spoke to Janice Abbott about this yesterday, and she explained how the whole, you know, it's all about the fire alarm and the type of system they have, but there's more to this, right? Yeah, I mean, look, we've got 500 fire alarms from one facility, people saying they can't sleep, uh, the fire department fining, uh, and it's a government uh, facility, essentially, uh, for too many calls. Uh, and, you know, I, I, they can. if it's just a matter of sensitive smoke alarms, they can deal with it. But people are being allowed to smoke, right, in the facility. Uh, what it really underscores to me is how difficult it is going to be to accommodate some of the people on the streets in the downtown east side. So some of those people are telling us they moved out onto the street because SROs were awful places to live. They didn't feel safe there, and they were dangerous, and they couldn't sleep there and all that. Uh, So they're looking for something new. Um, You know, SROs were a solution that the previous B.C. Liberal government adopted. They bought these single-room occupancy hotels, 
as places to put people, moving them off the street, giving them their own room, um, some independence. That was the, the notion, the best of intentions. The New Democrats repeated it a bit during the pandemic by buying up motels here in Victoria and elsewhere, uh, again, to get people off the street, to give them a place to live. But it turns out those are temporary solutions. Unless you build a facility that is also has supports there for some of the people that you're moving off the street, you're going to get troubles. And we've seen what they are. Um, and, I, you know, the government, the, the, the current government is saying, well, we've got to find an alternative to single-room occupancy hotels. Okay, uh, what's that going to be? Well, um, you know, they've, they've talked about different solutions. They've even talked about building a modern state-of-the-art uh, facility for the mentally ill. Uh, you know, a, a, a this generation Riverview, but EB is now saying he's not clear that that's the solution. He's going to call on the experts for solutions. I think what we really see here, Simi, is it's easy for politicians to talk about moving beyond this and solving the problem, but it's not going to be easy at all. No, it's not, because it's almost like trying to find something in the middle, right? We know yeah. that the institution system did not work, and then you know we did away with that completely, and now we're saying this, what we replaced it with doesn't work either. Yeah. No, and compulsion doesn't work. I mean, I see the, the woman from uh, the uh, Tira there uh, saying that, well, you know, uh, people aren't supposed to smoke in their rooms, but they're reluctant to evict people for smoking in their rooms. They set up a smoking room, uh, you know, but uh, not everybody goes there. Their problems are the ones in Victoria with people setting fires. I mean, these are very troubled people. Everybody acknowledges that. Uh, how to house them, there's no easy answer. And, you know, it, it's no wonder that even David Eby for a time was talking about, you know, using compulsion, using a, involuntary treatment, uh, building this standalone uh, modern-day Riverview but I think he's getting advice now from advocates in the area that that kind of stuff isn't necessarily going to solve the problem either. So there's lots of people out there who know what won't work. We're having a hell of a time, Simi, finding out what will work. We are. All right, Vaughn, thank you so much for that. Bye-bye, Simi.